The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your dropping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make, straight, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as a family, as a church body, Lord. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds this morning to be receptive to your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son whom you sent to die on the cross for us so that we can have this relationship with you. We love you and in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Janie. All right, good morning, everyone. So um, if you're new this morning, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor at Grace City. It's great to see you this morning. Um, you know, I, I can't believe it that summer is almost over. Can you believe that? I, I, I knew it because I went to Starbucks and up on the sign it said, nine days till pumpkin spice latte. Like, really? There's a countdown for pumpkin spice latte and it's, it's almost here. So... Um, yeah, we've been going through this summer, uh, going through the book of Hebrews and looking at this, this, this very relevant book to us today. We, we need this book. Um, and so we are in Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. And um, as we've been journeying through the book of Hebrews, what we've seen time and time again is that this book is all about Jesus, right? What, what's the point that the author is trying to 
push us towards again and again. He's telling us, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And so if you're joining us this morning, that has been the point of this whole book. Because as he's used Old Testament references, he, he again just points it back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so today's message is this, learning to endure, learning to endure. What's the author trying to tell us in chapter 12? Well, he's telling us, again, that Jesus is better, but he's also giving a warning to the audience, the people that he's speaking to, because they they need to hear something. They, They need to hear something really important. Here's what it is. He knows that they've been beaten down by trials and difficulties in life. And so the author is now pastoring them, helping them to get through some of these difficulties because now he's preparing them on how to face them, on how to face them, on on how to face moments when people leave and, and, and throw in the towel, when they face difficulties of people bringing persecution against them because of their faith in Jesus. He's preparing them for the brutal realities of life, and he's trying to give them this gospel lens. You know what I mean by gospel lens? It's as, as, as everything bad that's happening in the world and, and things around them, right, difficult things, that there's still good news, that Jesus is still good news in the midst of difficulties, trials, and challenges because Jesus himself understands the cruelty of life. And Jesus himself endured to the very end. You see, and, and what this passage tells us is that Jesus didn't do that begrudgingly, but he said with joy, with joy, the difficulty, the cross set before him, he endured it with joy. See, this passage of Scripture today is very relevant to us because we live in a culture that, in many ways, we are not equipped to handle the difficulties, challenges, and realities of life. We're not. Speaking about our our current culture, um, author and writer, or uh, speaker, um, Angela Duckworth wrote in her book, Grit, she says, enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Enthusiasm, within our culture, people get really excited about things, but to endure, to push through, to continue, that's rare. And I want to say that it's very relevant right now to our current Christian culture because what I continue to see the past few weeks is news headlines that say that high-profile Christian leaders are throwing in the towel and publicly giving up on their faith. You see, many, and I remember many of the, the, the names that are out there right now, they started with great enthusiasm, great enthusiasm about God, gathered great crowds of people. And, and I think in many ways, you know, we, we've lifted them up so high because they have all of these accolades and these books and speaking everywhere and all these things. We've lifted them up. And now many within the church are brokenhearted, hurting, and confused because now they're publicly saying, Yeah, that Jesus stuff, I didn't really believe it. What are we supposed to do with that? What what are we supposed to do as Christians seeing those that that we've loved and adored and, and, and listened to say now, 
they don't have the same faith that we hold tightly to. About our culture, author and pastor Timothy Keller once said, he said, there's never been a culture with a lower pain threshold than ours, where people scream faster, but also a culture that gave us fewer resources for dealing with the brutal realities of life and death than ours. And in many ways, we just kind of push those hard things to the side and we don't face them. And so we have a faith that's not ready to face the challenges. And so what is the author of Hebrews doing for us today? Well, he's giving us a great gift. He's teaching us what it looks like to endure in a world that will test your faith and my faith in Jesus. And so our text today is Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. And we must, uh, what, we, uh, what must we learn so that we will endure the Christian life, okay? Endure in the Christian life. Well, we are taught three lessons about this from this text. And so we're gonna break down the text today. And, and, and so here's all three up front if you're taking notes. The first one is this, the harsh reality. The harsh reality. Second, the loving father. And three, the affected community. And, um, and don't judge me on the effect. I, you know, I struggle. Is it like the E or the A? I don't know. But... Some of you grammar teachers are out there right now. I know you're out there. You're like, it's an A. Um, But the affected community. So just go with me here. So the first one, the harsh reality. The harsh reality. So look at verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author or the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Here's what the author is first telling us: it's this that we all have the capability of becoming weary and faint-hearted. We can all become weary and faint-hearted when it comes to our faith in Christ. And so what the writer here is saying, it's twofold. He's trying to help us understand this, that there is a harsh reality. And number one, we need to understand this. We're all in a race. We're all in a race. He's using this, this huge metaphor here, starting in verse one. He says, let us run with endurance the race That is set before us. What is your life? What is my life? It is a race. It's a race. Now, the author uses this very familiar imagery for the people during that time because what they would have thought of first is the Olympics. The Olympics. And and right now, there's, there's Olympic games and things going on as we speak. But it was very relevant for this culture because the Greek word used here for race gives us a hint of what the author is trying to tell us. The, the, the original word for race is the word agon. It's the word in which we get our word for agony. Agony. Here's the harsh reality. This race, this life that you're living and I'm living is a, an agonizing struggle. It's an agonizing struggle. And, and for some of us today, we might say, well, I didn't sign up for that. I, I, I didn't register for that race. I don't want to be in that. 
But what we know from the scriptures is that because of the fall, because of sin, because of what, what our present world is right now, because of going all the way back to Genesis, it's not just that certain people are going to face an agonizing struggle in this race of life. It's that all of us do. All of us do. You see, as Christians... What this writer is telling us is that you are in an agonizing race. And so first, we're all in a race, but secondly, he's, he's helping us because he's saying, how will you run the race? How will you run it? And so he tells us how to run as people who are pursuing Christ. He says, first, throwing off sin. Throwing off sin. Now, we got to be real for a minute here because th this is where we have to be honest, right? In many ways, acknowledging sin is not fun. It's the thing that I want to avoid. I want to push to the side. It's the, the wounds that I'm still holding on to because of personal sin or other sin that people have held against me and done against me. But what the author here is telling us first is as you're running, you need to throw some things off. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says this, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what makes life harder, the race harder? Is when we're carrying a facade like it's not hard and like we don't have sin, like we don't have struggles. Right, when we put on the facade that everything's good and it's okay, it actually goes against you in this race. And so the author says, throw off sin. And he says, then with perseverance. He uses this word perseverance. Now, now what we need to understand is this isn't a short sprint. Some commentators believe that the author in this illustration is getting readers to think not only of the Olympics, but to think of the pentathlon. Now, the pentathlon consisted of discus throwing, long jump, running, and wrestling. And this, in many ways, if you were to think about the, the life that we live, sounds like, yep, that's what I face on a daily basis, right? I don't know if I'm discus throwing today. I don't know if I'm running today. I don't know if I'm wrestling today. What, what is happening Within life, it's the harsh reality. But then in verse 2, look at verse 2, he says this, looking to Jesus. How are you going to make it? How are you going to make it through the harsh reality? Well, he says, looking to Jesus. One of the things that he explains about Jesus is this. He says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. What does that mean? It means that people looked upon Jesus and heaped all their shame upon him. How dare he? Right? I mean, we think we've got it hard in life. This is a difficult life that I'm living. It's an agonizing race. But then as it's the, the author is saying, get your attention off of yourself and look at what Jesus has done. Right, there's the harsh reality that we face, difficulties in life, but there was an even harsher reality that the Son of God came and faced a death like he did. But not only a death like he did, but a life that he did. 
It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Right, you think about what it, it talks about the life of Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, they, the, the, the prophet Isaiah just gives us this glimpse into the life of Jesus. And basically, it just says that Jesus was despised among people. Right, like how burn up inside do we get when we are around people that might not like us? Or that talk badly about us? But to think of Jesus and to think that this was a daily thing for him, a daily thing, that's what he endured. And so the author is saying, well, how are you going to make it? How am I going to make it in the harsh reality of life? Well, you have to see the harsh reality of what the Son of God went through for you, looking to Jesus. George Guthrie, who's an, uh, a commentator on this, says, the, the image of running emphasizes that Christ followers have a course to complete or a goal to reach. It must exert effort in the Christian life is to, be, is to be lived faithfully. Yet thankfully, it is not only the path that the believer sees. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is Jesus who provides the ultimate basis for a Christian's perseverance. Right, again, you ask questions like, how am I going to make it? I know my heart, even when we sing, come thou fount, right? Which, which I think is just, it was just so good listening to everybody sing, come thou fount. I think that really gives a sign of like how healthy your church is, right? Like when you are singing this song and saying, okay, I know the realities. My heart, like, God, there are times where it's difficult and I run, but you, you still pursue me. You still come after me. And so the author is saying here, how are you going to make it? Well, it's you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. So first, we must understand the harsh reality that we're in this grueling race, but understand that our eyes need to be fixed on Christ. Fixed on Christ. Secondly, as our eyes are fixed on Jesus, what, what will we see? Well, this is really important because he changes analogies here. First, he starts with the race. Now he goes to the second point, the loving father. The loving father, start in verse uh, five, going through 11. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved, or when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he, he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, you have had earthly fathers who disciplined, uh, who, who, who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own good, that we may share his holiness for the, the moment all... Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, this is really important. You think like, okay, well, why is the author here changing the analogy? Because, you know, a, a natural analogy would have been, okay, well, the imagery of you've got the race, and then wouldn't it be like a coach? Why, why, why does he start talking about a loving father? 
It's because he's trying to communicate something really important to us. Now, there's two parts to God being a loving father in our life, and, and it starts in verse 6 and, and in 7, where, where he says the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And then he says God is treating you as sons. And so for, for, for what, is this, what is this telling us here? Well, the word discipline is really important, you know, because it seems harsh to us. Discipline. Oh, God's just who I thought he was. You know, he's the condemning God that's up there ready to discipline me at any moment. But what we don't see on the surface is that this original word in the Greek language is padea. That's where we get the word pediatrics. So what happens at the pediatrician? A a doctor looks at a child and assesses the health of the child. A doctor cares for the child. If there's surgery that needs to be done, the, the doctor does the surgery, points out areas where there is needed growth. Why? Because the, the whole point of the pediatrician is for the growth of that child and the flourishing of that child. And so as it talks about God being this loving father, it's saying he, he comes in as one who would be like a pediatrician, checking in to see and assess the health of the child. See, we need to see that God is this loving father and he's assessing us because we're running a race. We're running a race. His desire is not for our comfort, but for our health. And he is a loving father. And the way we know that is because we have to get down to the motivations. Right, if you were to go back to the analogy of a coach, like the coach could have a lot of different motivations for pushing athletes to keep going. Some of it could be the very ego of the coach is saying, I want a good team and so I'm going to make sure that you are better because that reflects on me. But again, as we see this loving father, what we see is the motivations behind why this discipline comes into our life. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, for our good, that we may share his holiness. See, see, what is God's goal for you and for me? That we grow to become people of character, people more like him, with his heart. See, let me speak for a moment as a parent. I'm the parent of three kids, and I love my kids. And and when it talks about here, it it uses this analogy of a father loving their kids and, and being willing to discipline their kids, come into their life, help them to work through heart issues for their good. And so, but here's the thing about me as a parent. As much as I want to believe that my motivations as a parent for disciplining my kids are always pure, they're not. They're not. See, I fail many times as a parent. I have times where I get upset, impatient, selfish. 
And that drives my parenting. And it's wrong. And what the author is saying here is even the best parents are a mixed bag. They're a mixed bag. And so what is it about God? Well, here's the thing with God. There is no mixed bag with God. He's always good. And he's always pursuing us for our good. He he has no impure motives. It's never like that with God. There's, There's not an ounce of selfishness or wrong motivation with God. He is truly the perfect parent. See, for some of us, we come in here today, and when we see the analogy of parent and child, we think to ourselves, man, I just think of my history, I think of my past, and, and maybe we think of abuse when we think of discipline. Maybe we think of a lack of discipline, and I just got to do whatever, and I wish my parents were there for me, and they loved me, and they cared for me, and they invested in me, and they took time with me, and they gave me some advice. But here's the thing. Whatever background you're coming from, there's a loving father who, who, who is looking to give his best for you. He cares like that. But there is training. There's discipline involved. See, the, the second part of this, I want us to see it. It's in verse 11. For, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, the, this, is, again, is really important. The word for trained is the word gymnazo, which is where we get the word gymnasium. And in many ways... When I say that, there is a love-hate relationship with the gym, isn't there? We, we love New Year. We love when that comes around because you know what? New Year, new me, I'm getting in the gym. I love the gym. People are going to know how much I love the gym by the outfit I'm wearing today. I just went to Nike Outlet and I got all geared up to come to the gym today. Enthusiasm. We're ready. Who on December 31st is still pumped up and ready to go in the gym? Except for Tommy. (laughs) Not many of us. Enthusiasm. That's common. Endurance is rare. Endurance is rare. And what the author is telling us is that, you know what? God, in this race, this struggle, he is working us out in a way where we we will endure the hardships and the pains of the race. And his heart is that there will be fruit in our life. Real fruit. What does fruit point to many times in the Bible? Points to our character and who we are. You know, a few years ago, I, I ran this half marathon, and I was getting really excited about it, you know, until I started to have to train. And uh, there are all these people who were a part of this group. We were all running this half marathon together. And so we would do these video calls, and we would ask each other, hey, are you training? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm training. It's going great right now. You wouldn't believe how many miles that I've been running each day and all these things. And I remember I I was just getting sick of the gym. 
Because I would, I would go there, and I'm like, okay, race day is right around the corner, and i got to be ready to go. And, um, you know, race day did come, and that group of people, some didn't make it to the race day. And then I remember when I finished the race, and one of my friends came around in his car, and uh, I'm like, I didn't see you the whole time, bro. He's like, yeah, I... He's like, probably about four miles in, five miles in, my, my knee gave out. So I was like, okay, all right. But he didn't, he told, he's like, man, I didn't train at all. And so I was like, you were trying to run a half marathon without training at all. Here's the thing. God is a loving father, will not let you jump into a race like that. He won't. He is committed to you and loves you so much that he's like, nope, not going to do that to you. But lastly, we need to see this, the the affected community. Look at verses 14 through 15. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, this is very serious. There are two things that the author is getting at here when he talks about the effects of how this affects the community. And, and, and it has to do with relationships. Look, look at verse 14. You say, well, why does he start talking about everyone? Well, it says strive for peace with everyone. Why is he saying that? Because there wasn't peace with everyone. <laughs> Many commentators and, and people who are studying this say, you know, there's a lot of disunity and dysfunction among people and relationships within the church. You say, that can happen in the church? Yeah, it can. See, why, why, does, why does this happen? Well, he's saying strive for peace with everyone because you need other people and I need other people. There are times when people will test how holy you really are. Right? And so there has to be a willingness to grow in holiness, but it has to be with others. That's why God created the church. See, let me ask, where do you get tested the most in your holiness? Community, relationships. But where are you held most accountable for pursuing holiness in God in your life? Community, relationships. Here's the thing about God's church. We can't do it alone. We weren't meant to do it alone. But just like in a marriage, you know, I've been married for 14 years. And marriage can bring out the best things in you, but it can also bring out some of the worst things in you. And there are many times when I've had to repent and just say, Laura, would you forgive me? I was just being so selfish here. But you know the thing that's on the table with us? That we're in this for the long haul. We're in this for the long haul. And there are areas where I got to grow and there's areas where she has to grow, but we do that together because we love each other. And so when the Bible talks about the church being a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the thing I know about my brothers and sisters. I only got brothers, but... 
I can't run away from being a brother. I can't. You know, and here's the thing about the church today. We got so many options and things and places we can go and things that we can do. But at the end of the day, there's only one church, and it's Jesus' church. And we do have brothers and sisters that are all around this community and around this city. And what I'm saying is we are called to be committed to a local church, to invest. Why do we not do that so many times? Because we want to run away from accountability. We want to run away from growing in holiness and relationships. And the way that God does that is through the church. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, that the saints shall persevere in holiness because God perseveres in grace. How's it going to happen? It's not going to be because of you and me and how great we are as people. It's going to be because God just continues to pursue us in grace. His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is enough. His grace can hold us even in the most difficult moments. Verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That's how it's going to work out. Right? Because within ourselves, we can't do it. And the next part is this, that if we're not willing to grow in this holiness and, and really grow in our relationship with Christ and with others, there is an effect to the community. There is an effect. Verse 15 says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. See, we just want to skim over that verse sometimes because we think to ourselves, man, I don't really want to face the reality that, yeah, there are people that I hurt or that, that hurt me within the church. But this is true. This is a reality. There are people who get hurt by our actions and things that we do. And what he says is this root of bitterness. What is that? You see this root of bitterness? It can be tied to pride, arrogance, jealousy, envy, backstabbing, selfish ambition, lying, and unwillingness to serve Christ. Control. Control. Right? And he says because many become defiled. See, these bitter roots spring up from our flesh. From our flesh. And that's why it says time and time again in the book of Galatians, like lean into the spirit. You can't do this without God's spirit. It has to be God in you, not you trying to muster up these things in yourself. And he gives this illustration of Esau. At the very end of the passage, he gives this illustration of Esau. And what's the thing with Esau? Basically, Esau didn't see his inheritance and his blessing as a, the firstborn as valuable. And so what, what, why do we get these bitter roots of, of, of anger, arrogance, envy, all, what's the bitter root about? We get upset because we don't see our inheritance as children of God as very valuable. We kind of push to the side this whole thing about, yeah, I know I'm a son or daughter of the king of Jesus. You know, Jesus saved me and all that, but we just push that to the side. And we put other things ahead of Jesus. And so what happened to Esau, well, it says that he, he pushed his birthright to the side, didn't really care much about it, but in the end, he realized that it was the most important thing, the most important thing he had, and he'd lost it. He says, don't be like that. Don't, don't push these things to the side because it does so much damage. And so quickly, some takeaways. What, what can we learn? First, expect various challenges and trials. 
James 1, 2 through 3 says, count it all joy, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What's God doing in you? He is making you a new person. And here's the thing. Expectations are everything, right? Aren't expectations everything? When you're going to the doctor's office, and if they tell you, hey, um, it's going to be a 30-minute wait right on the spot, you're like, oh. But if they call you before and they're like, hey, it's, it's actually, we got a lot of people in here. It's going to be a long line. Um, just want you to know before you come. And you come in there, and then it's only 30 minutes. You're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. You know, but, but, but you like knew beforehand, right? The expectations are everything. And many Christians get rattled in their faith because they aren't expecting difficulty. I thought this was going to be easier than this. But if you expect difficulty, it's actually going to be a lot easier because you'll know that there's very, various kinds of trials. James says it. There's small trials, there's big trials, there's minor trials, there's major trials. They're all types. But here's the thing that the Bible also tells us. They're temporary and they're meant to point us to God. They're meant to point us to God. David Platt, a speaker, author says, we need to realize that the trials are not joyful in and of themselves, but they are joyful when we realize they are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accompanying his purposes or accomplishing his purposes through them. Second, takeaway, believe that growing pains are necessary. Here's the thing, many times with my kids, they're going through growing pains. Right, my, my son's like, he's small, but he's like growing and, and he's like in his room. He's like, ah, my leg hurts. Uh, you know, I just can't walk. All these things. And he's just telling me all these, these pains he's got. But here's the thing. I tell him, I said, son, that's growing pains. It's actually a good thing. You're getting bigger. Things are happening. You're not going to stay this big forever. You know? And as Christians, God allows pain in our lives for a purpose. If we experience pain without Christ, like, we don't know if we're going to grow. That's not promised. But in Jesus, there, there's a promise that you will change, that he's going to change you. He, he will make you more like himself. It, it's not like maybe he will. It's going to happen. That's why Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You want to know where that's coming from? God at work. God at work. Next one. Understand how our holiness affects others. Here's the thing. We all have wounds. Old wounds, new wounds. But they affect people. I mean, again, we're, we're feeling the effects throughout Christendom, right? As we read, I've read the Wall Street Journal. It's in the Wall Street Journal that this guy is denying his faith. But here's the thing. It's like it, 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 it does hurt. And again, community will test our holiness and show gaps in our life. But if these gaps are, are never addressed in our character, we'll, we'll, what are we going to do? Just continue on. God, died, God is at work, and, and so much so that he wants us to grow. And so lastly, trust that Jesus ran for you. 
Trust that Jesus ran for you. See, what is the cross? It's the great acknowledgement that we are all wounded people struggling along this race and that we needed a wounded healer to run the race for us. To run the race for us. See, when Jesus says, I get you, I know what you're going through, he's not lying. He's not lying. Henry Nouwen said, Jesus was a revolutionary since he did not offer an ideology but himself. You want to know that? that that's the gospel right there. Uh, every other religion in the world says, here's an ideology of how to get to God. Here's an ideology of how to get better as a person. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to offer you an ideology, just something to think about. I'm going to offer you myself. You see, this is the motivation that will drive you in ways that nothing else can. It'll give you resources and ways that nothing else will give you. And it will give you something to hold on to when it really times get very difficult and tough. It's the power of Jesus. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of the gospel. Verse four says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Who has? Jesus. So let's fix our eyes on him. Let's let him guide us so that we become people who endure. And as we do that, we'll see at the end of the day, it's done. It's been done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you give us the grace to endure when times get difficult and hard. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to grow in your grace each day. And that we thank you for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.